Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Happy to be joined as usual by Paul Burmeister this week, my friend at NBC. Later in the podcast, we're going to get uh, some uh, good newsy updates on how the NFL is dealing with this incredible spate of COVID positive tests that seemingly in the last couple of weeks have just come out of nowhere. We'll be joined by Tom Pelissero, uh, our friend from NFL Network and NFL.com. So uh, there's so much to talk about this week, Paul, but I think that the, the one thing I'd really like to get into is to try to kind of explain, to, to explain exactly where we are. And look, I don't know how much anybody felt the way I felt about the Monday night game. We're recording this on Tuesday, December 28th. But boy, I just really thought it was an embarrassment for the National Football League. And, uh, and I don't, I'm not necessarily blaming uh, the NFL right now for this, uh, uh, you know, for this, the Omicron variant, which obviously is sweeping the country and is making a lot of people sick. I don't really know the right answer. I just know that what was on television on Monday night with a quarterback who had never played before, and I have no idea if Ian Book can play or not for the Saints, but uh, that Miami victory, I mean, good for them. They're, they're now in prime playoff position, and it's not their fault or anything, but Miami just did not field a competitive team last night in this game and Paul give me your view of what you saw in the game and and what you think about what is happening right now in the NFL I felt like I was watching preseason football last night Peter and I for about a decade I, I called preseason games from Jaguars to the Chiefs I'm like I'm as familiar with what preseason football feels like in the second half of preseason football as anybody and that's what it felt like I was watching from the crowd energy to the execution on the field to how the coaches were responding. Uh, the whole thing felt like August football. And, you know, that kind of feeling is why they have reduced preseason football. And it's, it's happening for a reason that's, that is somewhere between unfortunate, sad, and tragic. In the NFL, um, their hands are tied. If, they, if they're going to play, if they're going to test, if they're going to have any, any semblance of testing at all, this is where we're going to be for the next couple of months. I don't, I don't know what they can do differently. I mean, you can go back the last month, the last two years, and argue, well, this should have been done at that point if they would have done this. Well, here's where we are. And if they're going to play ball and they're going to test, we're going to have a lot of games like this. Um, like you, I've sat here and thought about, what if the NFC Championship looks like this? What if the Super Bowl looks like this without uh, uh, double-digit key players for both teams? And that's where my mind goes, and that's where my concern is. Outside of the health of the players, obviously, and what's happening there, just from a fan's perspective, what if we're watching the most important games of the year and you don't know the players who are out there and we might be headed down that road? Paul, I've got an incredible story, a weird story about the game last night, uh, um, the Miami-New Orleans game. Um, Sean Payton was at the Superdome uh, in the equipment room about four hours before the game and there were two men in there who were getting fitted for equipment and... Peyton met him. Uh, they introduced themselves. 
and Peyton realized that these guys were on his team and they were playing in the game last night. And they were getting fitted for shoes and pads and, and everything. And they were, they both played in the game for the saints last night. That's, that's where we are. That's where we are. I mean, I doubt that's a common story, but when something like that is happening and when, when that is the way the sport is going, I guess, I guess the two things that mostly I feel about this, and again, the NFL has a difficult decision to make. Should we put a pause on this season for at least some teams? And, you know, putting a pause on the season, you then say, well, you assume then that it's going to be better when you pick it up. And I don't know how you can assume that right now. So, uh, you know, I think I'm not trying to put the blame on anybody. The only thing I would say in this particular case is that I wonder if this wasn't the Monday night game, <clears throat> if this was a Sunday one o'clock game, would they maybe have pushed this one back with 22 Saints being positive? Would they have said, we're going to play this uh, Tuesday afternoon at three o'clock or something like that, just so that more uh, Saints could test out of the program and they might have been able to have guys on their offensive line who actually could block. <laughs> and uh, so I, I don't really know what the case is. All I know is that, you know, what we saw was not a good thing. And I think going forward, Paul, I think the one thing that I might suggest is if the NFL reaches a number and you pick it out, whatever it is, there are right now, on average, 11 players per team who have tested positive in the last two weeks. And some of those are, some teams obviously are over 20, um, you know, tested positive. So I think there needs to be a little bit of, let's say, a line of demarcation. You know, if you get above, let's say, 15 players, per team, active players, then the, the NFL is not going to play that game. But I do think that there has to be something done to prevent debacles uh, like we saw last night. I think the number, and the, the number might be a little bit off, Peter, but I've read a couple different places. I think it's somewhat accurate. With that Chargers-Texans game, I think there were 30 players when you combine both teams that had tested positive that were out because of COVID. So if they were to pick some kind of line of demarcation, I mean, that's the kind of game that would have to be rescheduled. And unfortunately it's not rare. That number may be a standard deviation or two off, but what if it's 20? That is still a game that's tremendously impacted. Uh, I I wish there was some kind of solution that was worth being considered. Uh, Do you think that something like that line of demarcation uh, at the league office, uh, do you think that something like that, is being discussed in a meeting room right now? I think everything is on the table right now, Paul. Uh, but I think the, I'm not saying that, that I'm, I'm trying to be Pollyanna about this, but 
I think the NFL in the last few years has become almost impervious to, to, to criticism because as long as they put the games on TV, it kind of reminds me that game last night in some ways uh, reminds me of what happens. Not only, I think your comparison to a preseason game was right, but I think in 1987, when the NFL put strike football on uh, for three weeks, not saying that that's what this quality was. Look, I'll tell you this. I really thought that that Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Waddle, I mean, they're putting some beautiful music together. Yeah. And I thought fun. that they had some great moments. I thought the Dolphins had some very good moments last night. But it's almost the same as watching Joe Burrow throw for 525. You look at the Ravens secondary with two outside corners who just got to the team 10 minutes ago. I, right. And so you wonder, what, what does it all mean? Great for Joe Burrow. And I'm not trying to put a tarnish on his record, but he's not playing. I mean, he's basically playing the JV right. Uh, right. for a large part of the game. But but anyway, Paul, I do think that the NFL would consider almost anything. But as I say, I think that so much of what the NFL does right now, they say, listen, we're the NFL. We are trying our best to get these games in and to get to the postseason. And, and then I think, you know, we'll see. I don't get any sense that they're talking about putting a pause on the season. Uh, I don't get any sense that they're talking about stopping play. So, you know, we'll see. But I just think overall the NFL cannot have many more games like there were last night. Uh, it just is a very, very bad look for the league. Paul, I want to move on. There's a bunch of other things uh, that – in addition to COVID that I think are really, really interesting. Let's start with one of the teams we saw last night. Let's start with Miami. And to me, I wonder, what do you see right now when you look at the Dolphins? And what do you see? I mean, I, I'm, this sounds a little crazy. They got to play Tennessee. They got to play New England. They may have to win out, you know, to make the playoffs, to win those two games and end the season with a nine-game winning streak. I don't know. You think it's possible? I do think it's possible. I think that it's almost like they, they've had these last seven games to prove they're legit. Now they've got two games like, okay, let's prove how legit you are against Tennessee and New England, two teams that are not only winning but have to keep winning for what they do in the postseason. With Miami, first of all, I think it's important to keep it the macro in mind here, Peter, that think about where they were on Halloween, the last time they lost, major questions about the head coach, major questions about the quarterback. So now two months later, you feel a heck of a lot better about your quarterback, and you know that you've got the coach that you're charging into the future with. So those two things, I think, first of all, shouldn't be forgotten, no matter what happens in the next two weeks. I think it's also fair to raise questions. Uh, Tua is... Arrow is pointing up. Like you said, I love what he's doing with Jalen Waddell. I think he's your guy next year. You, you don't dive into the quarterback yeah. market. Right. That's a win. But you know what? That's a really, a really good point. That right there is no matter what happens to the Dolphins, if I'm Miami right now, I'm out of the quarterback market. 
Absolutely you are. Yeah, I mean, your head coach and your quarterback, you feel so much differently about that tandem than you did two months ago, and I don't think we can forget about that. I also think it's fair to raise some questions about them, though. They're not often scoring above the 20s. That'll be an issue if they make it to the postseason. And for as much as I do believe in that defense, it's a top 10 unit. If you go back and look at who they've beaten, and it's an easy shot to take, but it's also reality. You remove the Baltimore-Lamar Jackson game. It's teams with losing records. It's backup quarterbacks. It's rookie quarterbacks. So they have my attention. Uh, I'm a fan of what they're doing. But let's see now. Last seven games were good. But let's see what you do against Tennessee and New England. Yeah, I I agree. The one thing that I would say that I'm liking more and more that I see out of Miami is, you know, I remember sitting with Chris Greer and Brian Flores, uh, you know, after the draft in April. And this is on Saturday morning. And the one thing as as I'm sitting there with them, these two guys, you know, basically the football czars of the Miami Dolphins are really confident in what they're doing. And look, there's a lot of people in the NFL who are confident and who lose. But the one difference is they had a plan right down to every one of the players who they drafted. Everybody's got a plan too. But what really impressed me that day was they knew here is our role for Jalen Waddell if he's what he thinks, if, if he's what we think that he is. And here's our role for all of these guys who we drafted. And mentally, I think they saw what we're seeing right now. And, and I think that is a really, really encouraging thing for Miami that to me anyway, as I look at where they are right now, look, you can say this about almost any team in the league. If they get good quarterback play, they're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and right now, they're getting good quarterback play. I agree with you. Tua's not reminding me of Dan Marino, but I'm intrigued by Tua. I want to see Tua over a couple of seasons before – in the case of Miami, I even think about, um, is he the guy or isn't he the guy? I am right now sold and I'm all in on him and I'm all in on Jalen Waddell and what they are doing. Paul, I want to go to the mystery team of the NFL, and that is the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm, I'm not sure what you've seen in the last couple of weeks because it it hasn't been an offensively moribund team. But as I was watching a good chunk of that game the other day, as, as Houston kept going and going and going, I, I started to really look at the Chargers and say, you know, they've got a really good, bright offensive uh, or defensive head coach in Brandon Staley. The thing that worries me right now is the fact that their defense has really let them down. They've allowed 75 points the last two weeks. Uh, One thing to get get riddled a bit by Patrick Mahomes, but Davis Mills giving up 41 to the uh, the Houston Texans. 
And, you know, look, Justin Herbert has had a, had a few shaky moments himself. So give me a thought or two about what you see wrong when you watch the Chargers. First of all, for, for as super exciting as Justin Herbert is to watch, he's still at a point of his career where he is subject to lapses, where he has the big turnover, where he has a couple of quarters where you're like, okay, this doesn't look like the Pro Bowl quarterback we saw a couple of weeks ago. Right. Uh, he has phases like that, number one. Uh, number two, defensively, I'm glad you brought that up because what I have found with watching that defense and really thinking about it, I'm going to back up to, to some things I hear from coaches, Peter. Uh, like you, I read a lot about what coaches are saying. I listen to what they're saying every weekend. Uh, granted, it's college, but I listen to coaches talk about their game plan. And the equivalent defensively of what we hear on offense, uh, got to run the ball, can't turn it over. Every coach in the world says that. I tell you what, every coach defensively is saying right now, got to get off the field on third down. This, this, yeah. this, this, got to get off the field on third down. I hear yeah. it. I see it. I read it every single week. And the Chargers are last in the NFL, Peter. They are dead last in the NFL at third down conversions. And what made me go find that, I saw Davis Mills was nine out of 13 this week on third down. I'm like, wow, I know Davis is better than people thought he was going to be. Isn't but that's, that a, that's an alarming number. It's an alarming number. And yeah. they're, they're worse than the league in third down in that getting off the field. So that's what I see in addition to Justin Herbert having these spells of making throws where you're like, hmm, still kind of playing like a rookie sometimes. Yeah, I don't see the pressure that I had hoped to see uh, from a Brandon Staley defensive front. I think that's got to get fixed. The, the, the thing about the Chargers, the reason why, you know, their last two games, home with Denver at Vegas, I'm, I'm still maybe Pollyanna about this team, but I, I still think when I look at them, I think they're going to win out. Um, I mean, it's funny, the Chargers-Vegas game in week 18, that has a chance to be a playoff game, you know? Mm -hmm. So it, this is, a, this is hey, look, we, we know that in the last portion of this season, when we head into the last two weeks of this season, we know that there's a bunch of games sitting here now that really could be playoff games. I mean, as we sit here right now, Chargers are the ninth seed, Raiders are the 10th seed. They're both eight and seven. And, and, you know, I do want to say one other thing about the playoff picture right now. And that is that as, as, as crazy as this sounds, but if the Ravens can find a way to beat the Rams, you know, who were coming 3,000 miles east and playing a 10 o'clock body clock game in Baltimore on Sunday. If the Ravens get Lamar Jackson back, which is possible, and they get some of their COVID people back, which is also possible, uh, you know, the Ravens are also eight and seven, and they could be in position this last weekend of the year. So in the AFC now, you got Miami, Baltimore, the Chargers, and Vegas all vying for that last spot at number seven, um, you know, in the AFC. So I do think the last two weeks are going to be fun. Paul, I, I am getting into more and more starting to think about the coaching searches that we're going to see uh, in the next couple of weeks. Um, 
As a matter of fact, today is the day that teams are allowed. I think it's a dumb rule to be taking team, uh, coaches away from their teams. Uh, but today is the day where teams are allowed to request permission of uh, coaches and to be able to get them, uh, you know, to have video, Zoom, uh, uh, telephone interviews uh, with these coaches. Uh, and so it's up to the teams. Teams have to grant permission, but I think most teams will do that. I, the reason I don't like it is that you got these teams in a playoff push and, you know, having to have coaches set aside time to talk to teams. But as one club president told me on Monday, I, I get that. We don't like it either. This is a team that is likely to make the playoffs. He said, we don't like it either. But the alternative is the first week of the playoffs to have your coaches uh, with their minds on something else, whether they're doing formal interviews or calling up guys to see if, hey, if I get a job, will you be on my staff? So I get it in that way, but man, I am a big fan of doing none of this till after the season. Be that as it may, it's going to happen. Give me your one coach on an NFL staff right now who you think teams should be considering as they go forward into this coach hiring season. I'm, I'm going to evade a little bit here, Peter, and I'm, I'm going to see, see if this passes with the teacher here. I'm going to I'm going to go with, with one category right now that's really standing out, and I'll pick my one guy. But I like coaches, and there have been some young offensive-minded coaches, first head job that, that have worked out very well. But my mind goes to right now some coaches who have been head coaches in the past, failed. They've gone back. They're defensive coordinators uh, on teams that are supposed to make the playoffs with really good head coaches. And I think that they've gained perspective. They've learned from that head coach. And I think their second go-round would be much better than their first. Uh, you've got Todd Bowles, um, Steve Spagnuolo, Dennis Allen, Leslie Frazier. Think about how those guys all fit that category. They've been head coaches, didn't work out, defensive-minded. Now they're deep coordinators. They have really good coach, head coaches they're working for. And they're on teams where they've had this pressure where they have to make the playoffs or the season was a failure. I think any one of those four guys would be wonderful. Todd Bowles would be my first pick. But the more I think about Steve Spagnuolo and the role he's played and the fact that the Chiefs since midseason are probably the most improved team in the league and the defense and the offense are fighting for who's most responsible, he, he deserves a lot of credit for what Kansas City has done the last couple of months. Uh, I would love to see him get another shot too. You know, the Todd Bowles uh, case is a great, great case. Uh, I think when I think of Todd Bowles, I think of leader of men. Uh, I know that, you know, I know Todd Bowles decently. Uh, and I know how much players really, really like playing for him. Uh, I think that's a really good choice. Um, I'm going to give you, the more I thought about this, I'm going to give you a guy who I'm skeptical whether he would leave right now. Um, and that's Josh McDaniels of the New England Patriots. Um, and the reason I'm skeptical is that I think that the way that Josh McDaniels would leave is if he could go to an organization where he was really confident that they were going to win, that they had the things in place to win. 
And some of these jobs, uh, you know, I'm just not sure that that is the case. You look at Jacksonville, where over a decade, Shad Khan has presided over a franchise that has a winning percentage of basically one quarter. They've won 25% of their games and they have the quarterback, but man, it just seems to be a place that, um, you know, has been really, really dysfunctional. So I, I kind of don't think he would go anywhere. And I want to go to a coach who, and this comes from uh, sitting next to Tony Dungy for several years in the uh, meeting rooms and in the uh, viewing rooms at NBC before the our Sunday night football pregame show. And that is, I want an absolute steady Eddie to steer the ship and who's got the idea of how to make an offense work so well. And I remember Tony Dungy taking phone calls occasionally uh, from Jim Caldwell during that time. And Tony Dungy would always sit in there and he would say, Jim Caldwell's the perfect head coach for a team. He, everybody every day is going to know exactly where they stand. He's got a good offense. He's got an excellent idea for how to build a team. And you know what I want, Paul? I want a guy who is you're going to have zero questions about long-term, who is going to be able to build a good staff and who's going to be able to come in and every day you're going to know exactly what, what, what direction the franchise is headed in. And I know a lot of people are going to say, Jim Caldwell, man, that's not imaginative. What about Nathaniel Hackett? He's got Aaron Rodgers. He's done this. And I get it. I like those guys. Don't, don't get me wrong. But with some of the craziness we've seen, uh, and I'm speaking specifically about guys like Urban Meyer, I really want a guy who has it totally buttoned up on opening day. So those are our, our candidates there. Um, two other quick points. Who's your MVP with two weeks left in the season, Paul? I think the MVP race right now, Peter, is such a fun discussion. Like we could spend an hour on the top five or six candidates, make a good case for all of them. But as much as I feel there are really good candidates across the board, I also feel that there's a guy who's won and there really isn't a close second. Uh, my number one is Aaron Rodgers. And for a couple of reasons, number one, it's fun to think back at what happened week one, Peter and Jacksonville, when they played New Orleans, threw a couple of interceptions. They were awful. Since that game, he's only thrown two picks, 33 touchdowns and two interceptions. That's of all the numbers you can throw out there about the candidates. That's that is amazing that since he left that field, he's thrown two picks. And you watch how Green Bay is winning, Peter. They're very comfortable beating you 21-17 or 30-27. And in these close games, they're not, they don't look like they're panicking or breaking a sweat. And to me, through my ex-quarterback lens, I think they're able to play that way as the entire franchise because he doesn't turn it over. He is the quarterback more than anybody else in the league that you can go into a game feeling like, well, our quarterback's probably not going to throw a pick. And he's probably going to throw some perfect passes along the way, too. That's Aaron Rodgers. And that's why they're winning. And I could list a lot of reasons why he's the guy. But those are my two lead why uh, in a field where there's a number of really good ones, he is clearly the number one. Paul, you know what? I really 
about two weeks ago, I said, you know what? I love what Jonathan Taylor is doing. I really could vote for Jonathan Taylor. And then Cooper Cup, I look at Cooper Cup and I say, if he has one or two more dominant weeks, I, I could vote for Cooper Cup. But as we were thinking about what we were going to talk about on this show, I said to myself almost the exact same thing that you just elucidated very good, very clearly. I think if I had a vote this morning, I'd vote for Aaron Rodgers. And it's, it's probably more than just uh, the fact that he's so careful with the ball and, and, and he's, he's been so, uh, so consistent. I, I, I look back on Green Bay at Kansas City. Kansas City 13, Green Bay 7. And look, I don't want to indict Jordan Love, but it just, I, I'm not saying there's no doubt in my mind that Green Bay would have won that game if Rodgers played. But Green Bay's defense had a good day that day. Mm-hmm. But their offense could only put seven points on the board. And so I, I kind of look at, Here's the world. You know, it's like, it's a wonderful life. What would have happened if George Bailey wasn't there? You know, and <laughs> we saw what happened when Aaron Rodgers wasn't there. So, Paul, I, I don't want to be Mr. Boring, and I'm not saying it can't change. But as of this morning, two weeks to go, I'm echoing you 100%. I'll go with Aaron Rodgers. Last point. Who is, what team right now beyond the top seat? What team, uh, give me a team other than Kansas City in the AFC or Green Bay in the NFC, beyond the top seed, what's your most dangerous team in football right now and why? I like Cincinnati. I like Cincinnati, first of all, with a couple of intangible reasons, Peter. I enjoyed in your article, you spent some time with uh, about Joe Burrow. And I don't remember the exact words, but you painted the picture on here's a guy where his confidence just isn't this BS bravado, I'm supposed to say this, I'm supposed to feel this way because I'm a quarterback. I think that's really a part of who he is, that he goes out there with that kind of confidence and he throws the ball that way. Uh, But then they're doing some things offensively that are just a little bit different. They have 2,000-yard receivers, and then they have Tyler Boyd. So what they have at the the playmaking positions outside of Joe Burrow, I think is just – it's. If it's not only just interesting and fun, I think it's a little bit different than what other teams have and a little bit different of a preparation. And then you have Joe Mixon, who, oh, by the way, is second in the NFL in rushing, and they're not afraid to throw him the ball either. So uh, I love what Joe Burrow's doing, but when I look at what he has around him and their ability to go for 35 at any time, I, I think that's a team that outside the top two seeds in either, either conference uh, could be a real problem and go for a little while in January. You know, it's so interesting that you mentioned that team. When we were thinking about this and, and, and I was thinking about this, I kept thinking of one thing. What team don't you want to play, uh, you know, in the playoffs? And I think I could easily argue Cincinnati, even though they're not even a lock to make it right now. I think they're going to win the division. Um, but I think them, and, and again, you don't want to be prisoner of the moment, 
but I love so much of what I saw to the Buffalo Bills on Sunday mm -hmm. uh, in New England in a game they had to have in a game that I called the most important win that Josh Allen has had. And I mean, here's a guy who, you know, has been successful in the playoffs. So I, I just think, I think I would pick one of those two teams right now as the, as the team you just simply do not want to face um, in January. And again, people will laugh at Cincinnati and there are all these other really, really good teams and, and all that. But I just, uh, I like those two teams a lot. And in those two places, really, it all comes down to the quarterback. I just think that Joe Burrow can win any game he's in, any game. I'm fascinated by the uh, uh, Joe Burrow against Patrick Mahomes. Just a very quick aside, Paul. When I asked Joe Burrow the other day about, uh, hey, first time you'll ever play Patrick Mahomes, that's got to be pretty cool. His answer, he never mentioned Mahomes. His answer was all about, uh, hey, look, we have a chance to clinch. This isn't about me. This is about uh, we have a chance to clinch our division. That's what we're thinking about in this game. He didn't say, hey, it'll be really cool me against Mahomes. No, yeah. it was all about I love our chances with this team right now. And again, that's really kind of a cliche, but I think Joe Burrow gets intimidated by nothing. I love that in my quarterback. So, Paul, we've gone the length and breadth of the National Football League uh, this week. Uh, appreciate you taking all of your time as usual. And I'm going to get into my interview right now with Tom Pelissero from NFL uh, Network, who's been all over uh, the COVID stuff. So we'll get into that with Tom. And uh, we, I just can't get over the fact that it just feels like something is percolating around the league and who, who knows what the immediate future is going to hold in the NFL with dealing uh, with the Omicron variant of the COVID virus. So Tom Pellicero, I have just finished with Paul Burmeister. We've talked a lot about COVID and we talked a lot about the debacle of the Monday night football game that we saw. And I just wonder in your mind, from your reporting, your boots on the ground there, uh, how concerned do you think the NFL is about debacles like the Monday night game? And do you sense that there might be something done to prevent things like that game with 22, a team with 22 positive tests being a very, very, uh, in a very, very ugly national showcase. Well, Peter, first of all, thanks for having me. I would say it's not ideal for the NFL, the fact that we've had a bunch of third and fourth string quarterbacks start over the past couple of weeks here. When you go back to the Browns uh, having to roll out Nick Mullins in a, a Tuesday night game, obviously you have the situation last night with Ian Book. Uh, you had the Washington football team having to go to Garrett Gilbert. None of that is good when you're talking about meaningful games in December, and you certainly can envision that scenario where, where whether it's via uh, the random testing that's happening with a couple of players uh, every week during the season, or in most cases right now, it's guys with symptoms, whether they're you know mild or moderate, we haven't heard many severe, but guys reporting and testing positive. You look at the 
the raw numbers right now, over 500 players just in the month of December have tested positive. That's almost one in every four active NFL players right now. On the flip side of that, we're running out of guys to test positive. I was at the Rams-Vikings game this past week, and of course the Rams had droves of their star players, Odell Beckham Jr., and, and Vaughn Miller, a bunch of other guys who all tested positive, Jalen Ramsey, Tyler Higby, they were all at one point on the COVID list. They've had half their guys, if not more, have tested positive. And so once you test positive, you're in a 90-day testing holiday, which means you're not going to be tested again all the way through the Super Bowl. But certainly there are quarterbacks in particular who have not yet tested positive, And you have that possibility that you get into the playoffs and somebody on a Friday before a Saturday or Sunday playoff game goes, hey, I've got a stuffed up nose, I've got a sore throat, they give him a COVID test, and he's out. This whole thing is going to continue to evolve, especially with the new CDC guidelines, and I imagine we're going to get some new protocols sooner than later with the CDC now recommending a five-day isolation instead of 10. Uh, That is potentially impactful because now a guy could test positive on a Monday, still get back for the weekend's game, even without testing out uh, of the COVID protocols. They're going to be nimble. They haven't canceled a game yet. We're going to play all these games. But absolutely, it's a concern to the degree that you don't want an asterisk on the season. I didn't feel like even with the weirdness of 2020, you had one, empty stadiums and all that. It felt like a real season. This also feels like a real season, but some of the games we're watching don't feel like the games we should be getting at this time of year. I told the story early in the podcast that Sean Payton, uh, on Monday night, went into his equipment room about four hours before the game, and he saw two guys in there who he didn't know getting fitted for equipment. And he met them, and these two guys, one was a defensive lineman, one was a linebacker. They played in the game last night. They were his players last night. He didn't know them. And that, to me, is the danger. I thought what was different about the game last night, we have no idea if Ian Book can play football. How would you know after watching that with that offensive line in front of him, uh, a paper mache offensive line, really? And that is what would concern me if I, if I were the NFL, that, hey, it's great. The Dolphins are on this great winning streak. They might storm into the playoffs as as the most unlikely playoff team, as you've seen. Uh, But you just wonder, you know, like I brought up in with Paul Burmeister, Joe Burrow throws for 525. Who is he throwing for 525 against? And so those are the things that would kind of worry me. Do you sense any concern out of the people? who you're talking to a lot more than I'm talking to these days that what we're seeing isn't really NFL quality. Well, I would go back to when we had those initial outbreaks and it actually began during the NFL meetings. We were all down in Las Colinas, Texas, and teams were showing up. And that happened to be the Monday that that the labor seminar began was the Monday that you had that first run of those positive tests. It also made everyone take a step back and say, okay, what's happening here? Because we haven't seen, Uh, those types of numbers. And at that time, I was told there were players on some of the teams who did not want to play in these games, not just because, well, you know, it's going to be hard to win the game, but also, you know, what are we doing? We're without all of our best players. There's a potential health and safety risk to me. We don't have a chance to win this game. And obviously there were adjustments made through the course that week, the NFL and the NFLPA 
work together. They postponed several of those games. But to your point, the Saints had 20-plus positive cases. They put, I want to say, four or five more guys on the list yesterday on game day and right. still had to play that game at night. I think you have to go back to the memos that were sent in July. And obviously, we're at a different phase, Peter, of the pandemic. Yes. We're in a different yeah. area than we were in 2020 now because you, you have vaccines, because we know more about it, because you have Omicron, which right now is not making people in many cases particularly sick. It's more like a cold or a mild flu that people are experiencing, though I have talked to people who got really sick in recent weeks, too. So none of this is, you know, a, a blanket that you throw over the entire thing. But certainly we're at a different phase. But when you go back to those memos that were sent in July, one thing that was emphasized to the clubs was under the bylaws of the NFL, you have to field a team. It is the responsibility of the club to field a roster and play the game. In other words, yes, the NFL will, when needed, manipulate the schedule, postpone things. They don't want to cancel games, but they'll, they'll shuffle things around within reason. But ultimately, if we say you have a game on Sunday and we don't postpone it, be in the league, you have to play. It's up to you to field a team. We've never had a situation like this before, though, where you had this many players, much less this many quality players and important players taken off the field. Again, I think you're going to see some of this mitigated as you get closer to the playoffs simply because there's not that many guys left. You know, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's got to be close to half the league that has had COVID during the course of the season, not just players, uh, but coaches and staff as well. I mean, we had four head coaches test positive in a one-week span. That's an unbelievable type of a number. So you'll see some of that, I think, come back to earth simply because of uh, the numbers. But you still got quarterbacks. You've got guys like Carson Wentz in Indianapolis who, you know, likely playoff bound. He's unvaccinated, so technically he could get taken out by a close contact as well as by a positive test. Again, that game I was at on Sunday, the Vikings backup quarterback test positive. There's a possibility the league could have said, Kirk Cousins, you're negative, but we're still pulling you off the field. We haven't seen that as much. You're seeing very few high-risk close contacts. Yeah. Uh, but you are still seeing a lot of positive tests. And there are some key players who have not yet had it. And again, you, you may have that situation where you lose somebody during game week, although the new rules between the league and the union, as well as the CDC guideline, may change how likely it is somebody actually misses a game because of COVID. Tom, two other things that I wanted to ask. I think what most fans and what a lot of players have said also is that if this is so common and the symptoms are extremely mild and there have been many players who've come back and said, I, I, I basically had the sniffles. I didn't have a fever. I didn't have anything. Why would the NFL not let these players play? Is it simply the fact that they can shed virus? And even though the playing field has not been a place that we've seen a lot of transmissibility, Alan Sill's favorite word, that we haven't seen a lot of that. So is that the reason why somewhat healthy players who, you know, we've heard of players over the years, oh my God, he's got the flu, he's throwing up, he's this, what a valiant thing, he came back and play. Right. I mean, guys who are a lot less sick are being isolated and quarantined. Uh, what, uh, what What is that balancing act right now? I think that's a great point, Peter, because I've had that thought many times, how we lionize guys for the things that they play through, both in terms right. of injuries as well as illness. Hey, we pumped them through five bags of fluid on the IV. He went out there and played. He was puking on the sideline. That used to be like, wow, 
is a great thing. And now you're in a situation where guys are not as sick and they're not being allowed to play, which I think is one of the eye-opening things a couple of weeks ago when, again, these positive cases began to spike off the charts from where they had been. And throughout the course of the past, whatever it's been, six months, the union kept pounding daily testing for everyone, daily testing for everyone, even if you're vaccinated, that's going to be the key. Well, what they started doing, the union began having calls with their uh, player reps, the 32 board, you know, the 32 man board that represents yeah. the individual clubs. And what they heard was a majority of players not only didn't want daily testing, they wanted to be done, period. They didn't want any more protocols, no more masks, no more distancing. They just said, we're good. Now, again, it's never to every single man. You're going to have different opinions. Guys have different situations. But the majority of players said, no, we don't want any of this, which is where you saw that transition to the union suddenly taking a different posture on this based on, you know, they serve their players and working with the league to say we're not going to test asymptomatic, fully vaccinated individuals. That felt like to a lot of people, and I think a lot of people understood it as no one's going to test positive anymore. Instead, 106 players go on the COVID list all because yeah. of positive tests on Monday. And that is, from my understanding, because a lot of guys are symptomatic. Players are Andrew Whitworth last Saturday before the flight to Minnesota self-reported symptoms, got tested, he's positive, he's out for the game. You have club officials in some cases who are identifying symptoms with players, and they're seeing a lot of the guys who have symptoms, uh, in fact, have COVID. So, you know, they're, they're absolutely, this is all sort of a moving target. I think you also always have to look at, um, for lack of a better term, the public responsibility angle for the NFL in terms of the country is still saying this, the CDC at least is still saying, here's the guidance they have for, the past two years worked with the white house task force. They've worked with the CDC. They've got, you know, experts like Dr. Michael Osterholm, who they consult with all these people influencing it at no point. Have they just gone, forget all the science. We're just going to do this because it's right. the best thing for football. They've tried to work within the bounds of what the public health guidance is. And if all of a sudden you say, yeah, we're going to test guys, but we're still going to pack them all in a plane and fly them to your state. You're going to have some public health officials who are going to say, whoa, 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 hold on. And you've got some potential issues that would arise there. But there was no kind of pushback that I heard in terms of when they went to the not testing fully vaccinated uh, asymptomatic individuals, because that's what's happened all over the country. That's what happens in healthcare. They're not regularly testing doctors and nurses who are in hospitals working with COVID patients. If you're not symptomatic, you're not getting tested. You know, it, again, it's, it's all a balancing act and it's a, a moving target and it will continue to be so until... As a country, we move toward a spot where this is treated more like a cold or the flu. I certainly don't sense, Peter, um, that we have a lot of appetite as a country right now to continue to have masks and restrictions and everything else. But when you're piecemealing things between localities, different states, everybody's got different rules, you end up in the spot we're in right now, which is there's no kind of national plan for any of this. The NFL, I think that it's objectively true, has had a more cogent plan throughout yeah. this process, even though it has evolved uh, until you get to a point as a country where it's OK. You have COVID, but you can still go to work. You can still go to school. The NFL can't just unilaterally say, you know what, forget all that. We're going to do our own thing. Tom, last question. You think the NFL gets the games in uh, or I sense there's zero appetite for a pause. Uh, because with a pause, how do you know it's going to be any better when the pause is over? That's NFL play its season and get its games in. That's exactly it, Peter. And I go back to, and I'm sure you remember this well, 
uh, around March 11th of 2020 when, you know, Tom Hanks is positive and an NBA yeah. player is positive and the NBA shuts down. Free agency was set to begin that following week. And so we're all sitting here saying, first of all, what is coronavirus? I have no idea what this is because we're yeah. all, you know, in CBA land and free agency land and the combine and everything else, thinking about anything. But and all of a sudden, everything shuts down. There were teams that I remember GMs calling me and going, there's no way we're doing this. There's no way. They can, <laughs> we can't be spending millions of dollars right now. We have no idea what's about to happen. And I kept telling them, listen, from everything I'm hearing, this is happening. You're going to do yeah. this. And, yeah. and that was part of it was the NFL always figured, whether they ever said this uh, explicitly publicly or not, they always figured we're going to stay on time to the best of our ability. Because right. the moment you pause a week, a month, whatever, as you said, this might be worse. It might not be better. And so the free agency period happened that, you know, that year. I was in this room just perpetually. I kind of am anyway, but really that week, it was just, we're here. I have no idea what's going on in the rest of the world. I'm like getting news alerts and stuff like that, but I'm going, we're covering free agency. And then it was, all right, now let's just get to the draft. And it was the at-home draft. Okay, now let's just get to training camp. And preseason got wiped out in 2020. But almost everything other than a handful of occasions, the Ravens outbreak last year, the Titans outbreak last year, the three games that got postponed this year that all created some kind of schedule changes, Everything else has happened exactly on schedule. A lot of it in a virtual environment, but exactly on schedule. So the one thing I would feel relatively confident, Peter, never say never, I would feel relatively confident saying we're going to be at the Super Bowl in mid-February in Los Angeles. I don't know what it looks like for you know fans and sponsors and everything else just because this is all continuing to evolve. But these games are going to happen. And you hope, just as a football fan, which I think Peter – at our core we all are we enjoy still watching a, a football game be played you hope that you're going to have the best players on the field it's going to feel real it's not going to feel like yeah. this was the COVID affected uh, right. playoffs even though to a degree I, I think there's there's no question that there's going to be certain cases where it is going to be affected and that's just the way it is until we move into a different place as a country Tom Pelissero, NFL Network really appreciate you taking all the time today Anytime, Peter. Thanks for having me. My thanks to Paul Burmeister and Tom Pelissero. And obviously, in the wake of recording this podcast, we learned late on Tuesday this week of the death of John Madden. And I wanted to give you a few thoughts about Madden before we exited the podcast this week. I always thought that John Madden had one of the most incredible lives of anyone I ever met. And certainly he belongs on the Mount Rushmore of people in NFL history. And I'm talking about everyone in the 102-year history of the NFL. I cannot think of someone who is more important than John Madden was. Because think about it. John Madden was a Hall of Fame football coach who lost 32 games in 10 years. He retired when he was 42 years old. And after he retired, he had two careers that in many ways were better than his coaching career. He was probably the greatest color analyst in the history of pro football. He not only was great at his job, but he influenced 
the next generation of great color analysts. Chris Collinsworth basically took from John Madden the fact that you want to be a guy who people want to listen to, who thinks, uh, you know, people who want to listen to you because they think that you're just talking to them. That's how John Madden was. Uh, Tony Romo is the same way. All these people who are great on television now as analysts, uh, they sound like the second generation of John Madden. And then, obviously, the video game, which Madden wasn't tangibly involved with inventing or creating. But the greatest story about that is when EA Sports came to him and talked to him about it, and as the game developed over time, the Madden video game and kids all over the country were playing it and loving football and learning football because of this Madden game. They wanted to eliminate some of the offensive linemen because they were just clutter. And Madden said, if you don't do that, you don't have a game. Uh, or if you do that, you don't have a game. So Madden was all football. He was real. Uh, I had the good fortune in 1990, very early in my Sports Illustrated career, of riding the bus across the country with him one time and just seeing basically how he lived. Because remember, he was afraid of flying. He didn't want to fly. So he got this tricked out bus that was basically, as I described it, a Hyatt suite on wheels. And, uh, you know, he would sleep until whenever he want, woke up and watch tape, watch the country go by. And we had a very, very uh, interesting three plus days on that bus. So... Uh, probably have a lot more thoughts in Football Morning in America, my column come Monday. But I did want to share some thoughts about the great John Madden here on the podcast. Hopefully, you guys all who listen to this uh, enjoy John Madden as much as I did. And uh, I certainly hope he rests in peace. Look forward to next week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening this week.